host, Dixie Cochran, here as usual with my colleagues, Matthew Dawkins. Hello. And Eddie Webb. Squeak. 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 Why are we squeaking? Because Squeak's in the Deep. He's on what about Squeak's in the Deep? He's on Kickstarter right now. Right now? Right now. Um, and actually, part of it is also, uh, uh, like, not even 12 hours before we recorded this, you and I were playing in a Squeak's in the Deep game with the lovely folks at Four Tales, so I'm still kind of playing that in my head. Yeah, um, was it was fun. fun. And we have a few more sessions to go. So we I'm do, excited yeah. to see where this game goes. Um, yeah, I am I am enjoying my snake a lot. He is very smart and has no charisma. Everyone loves Jessica. I, I, I don't know why everybody loves Jessica. He is not good with people, but all right. <laughs> but Eddie, it's... what is Squeaks in the Deep? What is Squeaks in the Deep? Squeaks in the Deep is, I feel like we talked about this, like just at the last episode about on this Pathcon. Well, but, there's two episodes. Yeah, I, I, Fair enough. I, I didn't That's just forever ago. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> you just zone out when I talk. I, I've already forgotten. So. <laughs> Squeaks in the Deep is, in fact, a mage supplement. No. Um, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> Why was I rolling a D20 last night? So, so you were paying attention. Aha. <laughs> <laughs> I caught you on my cunning trap. Uh, no, Squeaks in the Deep is uh, the next big uh, pi- Pirates Pugmire? No, Realms of Pugmire supplement. Um, <laughs> it is not, uh, in fact, just a pirate supplement, but if you I, want I, to make pirate rats, you can. There's a lot of, there's been a lot of gear shifting between pi- Pugmire products lately, so I'm a little distracted. Um, but it is uh, our, our, the book that we're going to do uh, that has both mice and, playable mice and rats. Um, they have psychic powers because that's awesome. Uh, and uh, we geek into the area known as the underneath, which is the underground uh, catacombs, uh, uh, villages, and overall society of not only rodents, but also other unusual things that maybe lurk underneath both uh, Pugmire and the monarchies of Mal. So yeah, and it is, um, it, it, I think it's a lot of fun. I'm really happy with how the book came out. Um, I think Matthew touched on this uh, in a previous book, but um if a book is fun to make, it's kind of a good sign of you got something really there. And we, mm-hmm. we all loved working on pirates, but I think Squeaks also was a lot of fun to make. So I feel like it's got the same kind of energy of it. I think it's just going to be a really entertaining book for people to dig into. It's got the right balance of of not horror, but spooky, like Haunted House spooky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's creepy and weird, but also kind of in a fun Scooby-Doo way. I also just think that like, Mice and rats have been a pretty large presence in Pugmire since the beginning. Mm-hmm. They've been in a lot of the adventures. They've kind of been either antagonists or people you're helping out. But like there, there have been rodents around for a while, and so getting to flush them out was really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, a lot of people have pointed out that uh, um, pirates was pretty experimental. I mean, you know, we had uh, reptiles and we had birds, animals, pirates, and these are all cool things, but. Um, they're not kind of a natural outgrowth of the two books, like like you said, mice and rats were mm-hmm. a big part of of both Pugmire and Mal. Um, and also, you know, everyone's kind of getting that. Oh, this is your underdark kind of riff. Uh, and, and I mm-hmm. think Pugmire works particularly well when people are seeing at least the bones of a D and D influence, then going, oh, but you're going in this interesting, different direction with it. So, um, Pirates yeah. certainly had its own kind of D and D influences, but they were a little more harder to find whereas this is the oh it's 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 the underdark you know um and then there's a subterranean race that lives completely underneath it and blah blah and super getting those kind of connections and rifts so i yeah so yeah i think it's gonna be so far at least um it's it's doing well on kickstarter so it's just a good sign but um 
not even a day in, we've already meet, met close to half the goal that Pirates did. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic they'll do about as well as Pirates did. So. Woo! I'm excited about it. I, I like uh, Mice and Rats. They're great. Yeah. Yes, I, I'm, I'm really happy that we are getting to explore different... I guess, aspects of scares. I wouldn't even call it horror, mm-hmm. like you said, Eddie. That we're going, we're getting to explore spookiness with with uh, Squeaks in the Deep. Uh, we mm-hmm. have got, of course, our personal horror in the world of darkness and Chronicles of Darkness mm-hmm. and some existential horror in there as well. And well, all the flavors of horror that exist there. We've got our gothic horror in the form of Beyond the Grave. We've got our slasher mm-hmm. horror in the form of Murder mm-hmm. Lake. Uh, so it's... Even that's like kind of funny horror, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And there's there's comedy to it too, of course. Uh, but the that we are having the opportunity to explore so many different aspects of a genre that I think we love is, mm-hmm. is just wonderful. It really means we can explore a lot of the media we enjoy take the bits we like, convert them into games, or gamify them, as you might say. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to... I haven't had a chance to play Squeaks in the Deep yet, but I am looking forward to when I can. I, mean, I think you'll dig it for exactly those reasons, because I know how much of an aficionado of horror you are. Um, and I think we're also kind of somewhat unintentionally doing that a little bit with, with humor as well, because, mm-hmm. I mean, um, Pugmire and Daycare from we've already talked about, but they're both very different kinds of humor games. And we're just to kind of explore the the range of possibilities, even to a degree within they came from. I mean, the tone of humor with um, Beneath the Sea changed with Beneath Beyond the Grave. And although people haven't seen it yet, I know that um, Classified is, is taking a slightly third tack on mm-hmm. humor. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I'm with you. I, I like it when we can not just do here's our horror game, here's our humor game, but rather say, look, there's there's a large spectrum of possibilities and being able to hit each of those. Because again, right, horrors are bread and butter. And so it's like there's breadth inside Chronicles, for example. I think Chronicles is probably the one that has the most range mm-hmm. uh, of all the ones we yeah. do. But even then, there's still certain edge limits to that. Well, yeah, like I, I, I like Lost for a different reason than I like V5, for a different reason than I like Beyond the Grave, for a different mm-hmm. reason than I like Squeaks. Mm-hmm. Like, they all give you a unique horror experience. Um, and that's mm. that's really fun for me. Because, like, I mean, anybody who's, who's seen me play a game or even heard me on here knows that I, I have trouble staying super serious during games. I can if the rest of the table is super into it. I can, like, tamp it down. But the 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 urge to pun is very strong. Um, and so Beyond the Grave is great because it just lets me do it. It just lets me say any silly thing that pops into my head. Right. And that's fun for me. <laughs> like, I think one of the first Beneath the Sea games I played was at the first Onyx Path Con with uh, Ian Muller, Wes Franks, uh, Meredith Gerber, and Jacob Burgess. Mm-hmm. And we we broke our, uh, our, our jam. Like, we just mm-hmm. broke him. Like the 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 director was laughing as hard as the rest of us, <laughs> and like none of us could keep a could keep a, a a poker face the whole time. Jacob did a really good job; he was very in character. Um, but every now and then, the rest of us would 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 break, <laughs> and it was just that's that's great. That's that's fun for me. Like spending four hours laughing with your friends is fun, right? Yeah, uh, I've got to a point now where I. 
I really struggle to take games, uh, horror games, seriously. Uh, I I think I saturated myself in deeply personal horror for quite a long time, mm-hmm. and and lived that life. And then I got to play a lot of They Came From and other games, and it's now very difficult, even though I run several games for my Patreons, and some of them are ostensibly serious games, I find myself going off the tonal rails quite often, and I I half apologise to my players for this. I don't think they mind, they stick around. But I was running V5 for them not long ago, and they were they were trying to as a coterie they were trying to find out the identity of this uh, priest who was in command of the local second inquisition division they went back to his hometown mm-hmm. because they were trying to find some uh, dirt they wanted to rake up on him they wanted to humiliate him in the press and get him off their backs in that way make him lose his title his status and so on and so they went to his hometown mm-hmm. and this was all very serious stuff and then they met the priest who worked in this guy's old church and by that point my focus on the game and its tone had broken so much that he was a scatting jazz musician uh, (laughs) who had been sent from an American church to work in this French church presumably because no one wanted him around he was an ex-convict as well (laughs) and he was everything just poured into this horrible (laughs) character shell that sounds <laughs> atrocious to uh, and it probably was and i was just uh, oh yeah so you want to hear about my, the man that had my role before i did <laughs> and, <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> pull up a pew if you do and i will and so on uh, and he was yeah, and I was just doing this strange. Yeah, ooh, ee, ee. Uh, I was doing this strange oh scatting uh, priest thing that just came out of nowhere and broke the tone of the game. But sometimes I think you sometimes uh, ju- to self-justify this. Uh, I feel you need to break the levy if the tone has got yes. too mm-hmm. dark. You need to say. Okay, now we need a bit of silliness. Uh, otherwise, everyone's mm-hmm. going to come away from this feeling utterly morose. Yeah, and, I've been watching yeah. uh, The Walking Dead recently. Um, so I, I I watched the first two seasons when they were on TV because uh, that was back when I had cable and really enjoyed them. But then moved to Connecticut and cut cable, and so just never finished watching the show. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, steeped in it culturally because of the internet. So I kind of know all the main beats that happen. But I was looking for something new to watch. And I was like, yeah, I'll watch The Walking Dead. Why not? Like, I've, I've, I've read the comics. This will be fun. And they're really, really good at that, in my opinion. Where they, like, like everything will seem fine for just long enough. So they'll, like, break the tension with, like, oh, they found this place to stay. And they're safe now. And it's been a few months. Yay. And then everything goes to shit. And it gets very dark and very grim and everybody dies. And then they find a new place and they're like, oh, we're here now. Yay. Mm. And then everybody did it. And awful things happen. And walkers get in and they eat everybody. And, you know, it's, it's a it, it's it's a predictable cycle right. <laughs> because it's a zombie show. So, like, what else can you really do with a lot of it? Like, you're either showcasing the evils of man or the evils of zombies. Right. Those are pretty much your two options in, 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 the, in, in the show. But I, I think so far I'm on season five. 
they've done a really good job at like ramping it up and then ramping it down and ramping it up and ramping it down so you you, you never feel like it's all tension all the time because that would get boring yeah like if like every episode was just like oh zombies overran the camp again like okay yes we know that can happen but like we need to see other villains so it, it is really cool how they bring in like human villains and then they bring in villains from the inside and you know sometimes the villain is your own mind and it's 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 cool like that and also i mean like to go back to an earlier point um shifting the tone of the series can help too i think for example lovecraft country does this really really well um it doesn't really ever get lighter, but it changes the kind of horror people are experiencing. So like one episode's pretty strong body horror. One episode's much more existential. One episode is about paranoia. And yeah. that actually mm-hmm. weirdly helps the tone because it's the, it's not the same kind of dread. And so you're seeing a different facet of the characters each time. And also, you know, you start to go, oh, this is now this kind of genre trope, and you can kind of make that shift. And so it feels fresh, even though it's still all horror. It's, so it's relentless horror, but it's different kinds of horror. And even so even mm-hmm. the kind of shifting around inside the spectrum can really help, too. On, the, on that note, I would very much recommend, and also linking into the zombie genre, uh, there's a series I imagine a lot of people listening have watched called Black Summer. And it's on Netflix. Yeah, I haven't watched uh, that yet. It's on my list. So it's a spin-off of a zombie series called Z Nation, which was deliberately tongue-in-cheek. There were there were certainly horrifying moments. I did not know moments. it was a spin-off of Z Nation. Ooh. Yeah, uh, hmm. but Black Summer is essentially the prequel, and it completely sucks all of the humor out. So uh, uh, for whatever reason, it's in the same universe. I guess because it's made of the same, made by the same people, and the Black Summer event of the Black Summer series is referred to in Z Nation, but you never meet any of the same characters across both series. And minus a couple of questionable episodes in the first season of Black Summer, I was really impressed by that first season with its strong characters, its uh, the, the way it was shot, which was pretty much... Uh, it felt handheld camera, continuous mm-hmm. shooting almost constantly. So it had a very... It didn't feel like found footage, but it felt quite documentary-like. And mm-hmm. come the second season, I really found they have refined it to the point that it is now my favourite. And I love zombie movies. It's my favourite zombie series. The second season of Black Summer is a masterclass in how to ramp up and ease off and vary your types of tension uh, because it follows multiple characters all converging toward the same point. Mm. And they each go through different... um, I guess different experiences, different hazards, the the environmental aspect where it's all in the frozen wastes of Canada is uh, is incredibly well done. And what I like about it, I think most of all, is they are very bold with their zombies, with mm-hmm. how threatening they make their zombies. Uh I was a very silly teenager, early 20s sort of person at one point that said, well, zombies have got to be slow moving because that's how George A. Romero presented them. I was also like that. <laughs> yeah. but, th- but this is uh, one of the first times, admittedly 28 Days Later does it very well as well, but this is one of the first times where zombies are fast moving and really terrifying with it. Uh, yeah, but I... I 
truly recommend it. It's bleak at points, very bleak, but it is incredibly watchable. I actually enjoy, like, I, th- I think my first experience with Fast Zombies was in the Dawn of the Dead remake. Mm. They are pretty fast in that. And yeah, I was yeah. like, I don't hate this. Um, I, I did meet George Romero several years ago, and the autograph I got from him is on a Dawn of the Dead poster, and he wrote, Fast Zombies Suck, and then signed it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I do have that forever. <laughs> it's just yeah. canon. Well, it's one of those things, like, the way he always talked about it in interviews was, like, the the, 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 the scariness of zombies should be how many of them there are. Like, yeah. one one zombie should never be scary, was always kind of his thing. Right. Like, yeah. one one zombie you can walk away from at a brisk pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that, that was kind of the thing. But, like, I'm okay with having multiple kinds of zombies. Just, like, I'm okay with having multiple kinds of vampires, you know? I, I don't mind vampires that can walk in the sun sometimes. I don't mind vampires that can or cannot turn into mist or bats or cross running water or are afraid of crosses because it's a vast mythology and you can have well, fun with it. And at the risk it's something of continuing Eddie's... to fail to... Oh, sorry, 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 Eddie, you carry on. No, I was just saying at the risk of, of, of failing to continue to address our topic of the actual episode, um, one thing that you mentioned zombie films and one thing that I've been mulling over recently is if zombies have somehow transcended genre to a degree because there are lots of things that are zombie related Mm -hmm. that are not horror but also not parody like what uh uh, shawn of the dead is the first one that kind of jumps to mind um the actual apocalypse is played completely straight how people react to it is funny Mm -hmm. but nothing about the zombies themselves or the tropes that they're putting through are actually funny if you if you change the character interactions it becomes a straight a completely straightforward zombie film mm-hmm. um the santa clara diet uh is another it, it's a sitcom it's straight up a sitcom but again the actual things happening to the characters are purely horrific but it's never played for horror as a genre well yeah i i i think it's similar to what we do with like what we do in the shadows right, right. Which has horrific things that happen, mm-hmm. like quite quite frequently. There's some disgusting stuff on the screen, but it's still funny because they're pretty inept vampires, <laughs> um, both both in the TV show and in the movie. Right, like if you took if you took the characters out and kept the world setting, it would be pretty close to a world darkness setting in terms yeah. of how people die and the fact that they come back as ghosts and how the, like the vampire politics. Mm-hmm. It just happens that everyone involved happens to be completely inept. So that's where the humor comes in. Right. Um, but zombie films, uh, um, uh, I forget the name of the film, but uh, Zack Snyder recently did a zombie heist film. Oh, Army and... of the Dead. Army yeah, of the Dead, thank you. Um, and the first like five minutes are basically just, we're going to speed through the zombie film you expect. And we're now at the other end of that. And now we're going to do the, the, a, a heist film that happens to take place in a zombie apocalypse. And again, I haven't seen it yet, so I'm looking forward to that one. I'm not going to spoil the details of it, but basically the actual zombie parts of it are played exactly like every zombie movie you expect. So the zombies really become a setting. It's not a zombie film. The zombies are a setting for a heist film. Yeah, I mean, also the, the Resident Evil movies, for instance, always just feel more like typical action movies to me mm-hmm. than zombie yeah. movies. Right. Like, maybe the first one is still kind of a zombie movie, but it's got enough sci-fi elements because of the way that the hive works and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it's, it's, it's an action movie on, on some level, more than it is a, a, a horror film. Like, I, I would not put that and, you know, Night of the Living Dead on a zombie double bill. Right. <laughs> that would be totally confusing. Right. Anyway, 
We're going to talk about the convention again. <laughs> Speaking of Speaking zombies. Speaking of zombies. <laughs> we, are, we, are, we are resurrecting the convention. Uh, <laughs> so as a lot of you know, we had our Onyx Path Con about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did some thoughts on it a couple of weeks ago for one of our episodes. We didn't quite get through all of our thoughts, so we thought we'd finish our thoughts today. Partially, we didn't get through them because we talked about Netflix TV shows and other things for a very long time. Um, <laughs> and this time we did too. So <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad we avoided that mistake this time. So yeah, but I mean it actually kinda makes sense because if we were gonna fill like an hour and a half with our thoughts, then we still want two one hour episodes. So we need a good 15, 20 minutes of just bullshit. Right. That's fair. Seize a plan. Also, there's a fly in my room. Get get out of here, fly. There's a snake um, in my boots. <laughs> <laughs> Is his name Jusk? No. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, so yeah, so we were talking a little bit about just our, our thoughts in general. I know we didn't really get into M20 lore of the traditions on the last episode. So do you want to talk about that a little bit, Matthew? Yeah, I, I will a little bit. Uh, so people will probably be familiar with the fact that we did lore of the clans for Vampire the Masquerade. And uh, astute individuals will have noticed that Law of the Traditions got added to our Monday schedule. Uh, whenever uh, Every Monday night, we upload a blog onto theonyxpath.com, as I'm sure most listeners are aware. And we highlight or show off the books that are in production at one stage or other. And Law of the Traditions appeared there as if by magic with a K. And lore, <laughs> lore of the traditions, and yes, and it was subtle magic. It was not vulgar, and no paradox was caused. <laughs> and yeah, uh, lore of the traditions is a book we had been working on a little in the background to do a similar thing as we did for uh, clans, uh, but for Mage the Ascension. And we are covering each of the major traditions in the book. Uh, We are leaving room open through potential stretch goals to cover the Dispar Alliance, the uh, Mm -hmm. the minor crafts and so on. Uh, We we shall see how well that book does if if we do crowdfund it, and I imagine we will. Uh, but it's a book that was developed or is being developed by Travis Legg and the team he put together for it are fantastic. They've really had the opportunity to explore some of the, um, some of the real, really what I find culturally interesting, intriguing aspects of Mage and address them in an intelligent and nuanced way. Uh, and uh, I know we, we sometimes, we, sometimes you know, we critics, reviewers, look back on books published by White Wolf of old, and they'll say, "Well, that dated poorly." And this is especially the case when you look at some of the presentations of things like some of the tribes and some of the traditions. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was a minefield we had to not just walk around, but also to an extent clear. Uh, for Law of the Traditions, because this is our first opportunity in Mage 20 to really start digging into those traditions and see whether they hold up to 21st century scrutiny. And mm-hmm. I, I do have to say, I think Travis and his team have done a wonderful job. So it isn't, it isn't just a book that updates the traditions. It also provides you with lots of new tools, lots of new uh, ropes and the like to play with. 
and uh, I do like a game book that is useful for players as well as storytellers, as everyone knows. So do keep your eyes open for that. Uh, I think it's going to be a beautiful book, uh, as all of our mage books are, and I imagine it will see a lot of use at the table. Totally. Yeah, I love all the lore of the X books, just being able to kind of see some, some background information and updating on them. I find yeah, them fun. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think there were a lot of fans of the old tradition books, uh, clan books, tribe books as well. It's it's a shame in a way we didn't get to do a Law of the Tribes for Werewolf, though we mm-hmm. do get to explore that a little with Apocalyptic Record. Uh, so for fans of those old tradition books or who just want to know more about what it is to be a member of the Order of Hermes or the Verbena or whatever your favourite tradition might happen to be, Law of the Traditions is the 20th anniversary book that essentially amalgamates all of those tradition books, refines them, updates them, gives you lots of fun new information and tools to play with. Actually, I have a question for you, Matthew, about the books. A question? Yeah. Are we interviewing oh, each other now? Yes, we are. Yes. This is exciting. Woohoo. Um, I will try. Uh, so you've been kind of on all sides of the lore of the blank things because uh, you were not really freelancing with us during Lore of the Clans. You got involved with Lore of the Bloodlines, if I remember correctly, and then, yeah. of course, helped develop Lore of the Traditions. And yeah. I'm curious, financial considerations aside, um, do you feel like there's more value in having independent tiny books for each of those topics, or is putting them into a large book more interesting from a 2021 perspective? Uh, I would say that from a 2021 perspective, they kind of have to be in one book. Or th- This is my opinion, and people sure. can feel free to disagree. I'm asking, but, yeah, uh, again, business considerations, I'm just your pure aesthetic, artistic opinion. Uh, well, I guess from an aesthetic and artistic opinion, I would love to see an individual book for every single tradition presented in its own beautiful, ornate way. But realistically, mm-hmm. I think uh, they work best, are most functional, most saleable in one big book. Not a massive book. I, I don't want to see another right, Exalted right. Third Ed or Mage the Ascension 20th Anniversary Edition, for that matter, um, right. falling on How someone's you? big toe. I need my 700-page books. We <laughs> do not need page numbers to start with number six. When this. <laughs> yes, yes. A 700-pound book. Um, oh in weight, not cost. So, yeah. Uh, now... Uh, I've had I've had a few thoughts about this, you know, in sort of pie in the sky land. I've thought about if I were to do something like this for V five, how would I do it? And mm-hmm. I would probably group uh, clans together by theme, much as the uh, libelous uh, Sanguinus books were oh, yeah, for Vampire Dark the Dark books. Ages. Uh, yeah. They'd be a bit bulkier than that, so a little bit, but um, that I like that route because the old issue is. If you split a book into 13 supplements or thereabouts, then your player who is absolutely addicted to believes they are a physical manifestation of a member of the Celestial Chorus is only going to buy the Celestial Chorus book. And that means you have released another 12 books that may not sell. Uh, now you will always get diehard mage addicts and indeed you could apply this to every other game line who want to buy every single thing 
but by splitting them all into individual releases, I think you are potentially diluting the the potential to essentially sell books. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the old story with the clan books was that uh, books like Asamite, Ravnos, Followers of Set, and Giovanni uh, would tend to be left on the shelves because so few mm-hmm. people were playing them. Uh, it right. wasn't due to any quality issue of the books. In fact, I would say, looking at the revised clan books, Giovanni is one of the best ones. Mm-hmm. But there are so few uh, groups that were playing at the time, all Giovanni games or predominantly Giovanni games, that that clan book just wasn't making its way onto into people's, I guess, shopping bags. Right. Uh, so... I think the the same rule applies now, maybe even more so, because customers seem anecdotally to be a little more selective with where they spend their money. Mm-hmm. Uh, Interesting. Uh, but again, that, that that's all. It's all just my opinion, but, and it's a very rambling answer. But yeah, I think putting the tradition books all in one book for Mage Twenty is the best way to go. Uh, if I were to do a new edition of a World of Darkness game from this point, I would probably group them up in something like three or four traditions per book, sorted by theme rather than mm-hmm. alphabetically or anything like that. Well, that's actually what I was kind of curious about, is because. Uh, uh, cards on the table when i pitched more of the clans it was a way around exactly the things you mentioned it's like going i know financially doing these individually isn't going to make sense what if we just did one book and my argument at the time was uh especially in masquerade people tend to get a little myopic and focused on their clan this is my oh clan. definitely my clan. Mm. and i want to i want to read about my clan and i felt like if it was all in one book then there would be okay well i've paid for these 14 pages um and maybe I should at least glance at the other, you know, 200 that are in here and maybe find something that's a little more, oh, hey, you know what? I love Bruja, but also the gang were pretty cool. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the, you know, this clan is also kind of interesting. It, but you mentioning grouping my theme. I'm wondering if you wouldn't get similar things. Like, I like this tradition. So these other traditions that are thematically similar, I may also like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so well, I think... Uh, I, I can't remember offhand which clans went into each of the Libelous Sanguinous books, uh, but I believe Gangrel Lord was in the same higher? one. Well, I think Gangrel, Followers of Set, and Ravenos may have all been in the same book. And the reason I cho- I will use that as an example is that I know the Gangrel were always one of the most popular clans in Vampire the Masquerade from its inception. I remember the poll that was run on the old White Wolf website where I think Gangrel, Ventru, and Tremere just stormed it. And uh, the reason that you can put Ravnos and followers of Set, Ravnos and Gangrel, fair enough. There, there is a certain uh, yin and yang to that. Uh, but putting the followers of Set in the same book as well again, from a saleability perspective, is, well, a lot of people will buy this book just for the gangrel. Mm, and it right. may get to the people who are interested in the Setites and the Ravnos. You know, it's it's a way of almost hedging your bets. You put a very popular clan, tribe, tradition in the book with a middle-of-the-road one and a less popular one or some variation thereof uh, because it will hopefully then essentially shift some units as as they say 
Would you like to know how accurate you are? Uh, with the old White Wolf poll? No, with the oh, um, oh. which 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 clans were grouped together? I want to know. Oh, okay. Well, let me actually have a think then. I wonder. I'm picturing the cover now, and I have a feeling I was to help wrong. You out. There were the four girl. books. Each books had three clans. All right then. Okay, let's go. I think uh, Zemi C Ventru and Toriador in one. No. Um, is that correct? No, it's not. Close. Damn. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, all right. So the first, the, the first one actually is Masters of the State. So you actually get the first one right. It, but it's the Misi Venture and Lasombra. Oh, okay. I knew it was going to be Lasombra in there with the the clan yeah, I called makes the sense. DJ because okay. that's what I called them. So try again. <laughs> I the feel rest like I'm, I'm being uh, told to stand up by the teacher. So well, if you're so, so smart, okay, why don't you tell that. everyone okay, so, in the so, class? <laughs> uh, um, you, you have been thus far more right than wrong. Um, so All the right, one you were then. thinking of, Wolves at the Door, was uh, actually Astomites, Gangrel, and Followers of Set. So you were right, but it was Astomites for Ravnos. Okay. And so Bruja, I think it was Masters of the Word, um, would be Keepers Bruja. Of the word, Keepers of the Word. Yeah, that would be Bruja, Toreador, and... I want to say Malkavian, but I feel like they would be in some kind of outsider's book. Um, Tremere. It would be Tremere. Bruja, Tremere, Toreador. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and Thieves of the Night, which is the, in fact the outsider's book. So that's yeah. what's left. Uh, Nosferatu. Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you were definitely more right than wrong for when's the last time you saw those books? Like maybe 10 years ago? <laughs> Well, I did have them on my shelf until not long ago. I did sell them. I'm not looking at them right now, I promise. Oh, okay. Well, if you're looking at them, you should have done better on the quiz. <laughs> That's very true. Ah, well, no, you got to lace it. It is an few, open uh... book test, Matthew. How are you not using it? <laughs> now, what, why has the headmistress walked in and she's reprimanding me as well in front of the class? This isn't fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's 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 me in character as Miss Fitzsimmons, who I wrote for. Uh, oh, very good. Blood. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> nice. She was a very mean schoolmistress. So anyway, we had a convention, <laughs> <laughs> well, and we, we did not have a panel at the convention where we categorized vampire clans into four books. But maybe we should have. <laughs> like, like an questions... quiz show. Yeah. Well, if those weren't questions in the Vampire the Masquerade trivia game, we missed a trick there. That may have got right. it published. Right. <laughs> that, that would have tipped it over. That would have made it yeah. a much more compelling product. Now, what we did want to talk about were some of our overall highlights, uh, maybe things that we might want to change in the future if we do this again, um, and then also games we played in. So, Matthew, what were your highlights of Onyx Pathgun? What, what were the best moments for you? Uh, the best, the best. I think I would <laughs> go for... I I love that we got to announce so many things, or especially I got to announce so many things, yeah. but I would say my favourite thing was getting a chance to run They Came From Classified on camera. Mm-hmm. It was a game session with... There was a lot of hilarity. Uh, my players were uh, some of our freelancers, Kim Godwin, Hiromi Kota, Michael Barker, John Burke. John Burke was a bit of a special guest star because he didn't work on Classified. And I really needed a player who could pull off a decent Sean Connery accent. Yeah, I was right. going to say, wasn't, so, wasn't he the one who played essentially James Bond? <laughs> yeah, he was playing James Bonnery. 
Right, and, right. <laughs> and, and I think what was wonderful was it was one of the first they came from games I've ran on camera where everyone was quite happy with accepting failures because, of course, that's a large part of the story path system. It's you fail mm-hmm. to succeed, you fail for dramatic effect and to gain rewrites and so on or momentum in other story path games. And so at one point, James Bonnery was confronting uh, Claudia Las Vegas, uh, your uh, one of your antagonists from the book, Dixie. Who <laughs> well, I didn't even write. Um, I just named her. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and she... And, there was a gas attack, a sort of knockout gas attack taking place in the auction house. He pursued Claudia Las Vegas into the kitchens of the auction and she offered him a glass that was obviously poisoned with some kind of stunning agent and he decided to drink it anyway because he's James Bonnery. And so <laughs> he uh, he rolled <laughs> and he chose at that point, no, you know what, it's going to be more interesting for me to fail. So he made some witty remark as he then collapsed on his face in the kitchen floor, <laughs> allowing Claudia Las Vegas to escape, which is good because that's what you kind of need in a secret agent espionage kind of game where the villain makes an appearance and then gets to run away. Uh, yep. We mm-hmm. we had a fair share of that. Everyone was very, very funny. Barker did some great camera trickery where whenever someone made a quip or he made a quip, he basically zoomed in with the camera on his face. Uh, so it was like <laughs> a stunning moment. And that's amazing. That's so good. Yeah, it, it was it was just a lot of fun. And I mean, that's a takeaway I come with with a lot of they came from games, of course, that kind of shows they're doing the job. But it uh, as a new game that we had only just officially announced. Uh, I was really happy with the way that it was received by the audience and the way the players were just laughing throughout. Uh, uh, Beyond that, my other highlights in that game was Hiromi's character, the... uh, What was her name? Uh, I think she was the Black Widow. She was some kind of Spider-Woman. Yeah, she was like the Black Widow or something. Yes, an assassin that uh, always wore a mourning veil. And um, at one point, uh, the the Black Widow, and I may have got the name wrong, uh, was ballroom dancing with Kang the Roo, the Australian cyborg henchman. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Kang the Roo. Beca- <laughs> because Hiromi had used a cinematic to enter into a, the, a sudden dance number <laughs> or, or something of that ilk and so despite the fact Kang was until then threatening uh, the Black Widow uh, then they were locked and said before before I kill you Sheila I'm going to have this last dance and so they were dancing <laughs> through this gas filled auction house and of course ended with the Black Widow knocking Kang out after obtaining information from him about where the villain's base was in the middle of the Mediterranean so yeah that, that sounds all, like a scene fun. from the Batman TV show like that just yes. sounds like a scene from like Batman 66 or like <laughs> some 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 random villain is like first I must have this dance and then yeah no that's, that's I would that's never amazing. forgive myself if I killed you before I danced with you Mr Bond Actually, that is a minor highlight for me, is that Hiromi, uh, they were going straight from Classified to an Exalted Essence game, and they were playing a Spider Lunar. 
So they 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 did their characters and their costuming specifically so they could go like one game to the next within like five minutes. Nice. And I was like, that's clever. Like you you managed to make something that worked for an exalted lunar, like who turns into a spider, and then also for a classified Black Widow character. Go you! Like good job. So uh, shout out shout out to Hiromi Kota. Good job. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Hiromi's character was called the Widow Maker uh, to the avoid any copyright infringement with uh, Marvel. Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Doesn't so make sense. they were a widow who also made additional widows. Apparently, construct uh, additional I... widows. <laughs> yeah, I the don't widow think Widowmaker killed anyone though, so it was a bit of a misnomer. Well, I mean, they they they, they might have in the past. That's true. Yeah, or, or maybe they just have like a small like workshop. You know, they just make little widows. <laughs> they they whittle widows out of wood. <laughs> the widow whittler. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Eddie, do you have any highlights you want to talk about from the con? Um, I feel like I've talked about it a lot, but uh, I mean, I really did enjoy uh, the anima game. Um, partially yeah. because I was really nervous about it, and it ended up being just a lot of fun. Um, I think it's really hitting the right level of cyberpunky, but action hero, which was always going to be a tricky balance, and then throwing MMO on top of it. It was it, it, there's a lot happening here. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a very delicate balance, and uh, everyone just immediately got on board the train and nailed it uh from player perspective and it was really fun to see people shift gears hard from we're playing this fantasy mmo and we're heroic characters to now we're in this gritty cyberpunk world and i'm gonna deal with with awful things but also like you know a fight with what are basically ninjas at the end and so it all just kind of held together and worked in a very surprisingly cool way so yeah um, i also really like the fact in 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 that game that like when you're in the mmo you can have different levels of buy-in mm-hmm. because as most people who have played mmos know there are people that are always in character they're always right. role-playing mm-hmm. and then there are people more like me who when i'm talking to my guild like when, when i was playing world of warcraft and i would talk to my guild over event or whatever like we would just talk normally like it wouldn't like it wouldn't be like I Vashti the Draenei Shaman will heal you now. It was like Dixie need heals, gotcha, you know. Right. Um, and so yeah, like that's that that's a really fun thing to play with when you're in Terra Surge. And one thing that I didn't expect, but I'm 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 really digging, and I want to see if I can leverage it more, is that characters were able to criticize playstyles without players criticizing playstyles. Mm-hmm. Like there was one character who was really into the lore and wanted to get all the information and talking about it. And it ended up being a joke of like, just push X, just push X, get the fucking quest. Yeah. Um, but it, it was never done like, the players are annoyed that you're exploring this. It's the characters are annoyed. But we had the players thought it was really cool. Yeah, no, like Dixie thought that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Jen was like, can we get on with it? Right. Please, come on. It's a game. It's not real. Uh, yeah, because that's, that's, that's fun. And it is like, I am actually playing an, another anime game soon. Mm-hmm. That we will, uh, I'm sure, be talking about more on here in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love the character I have made for this one. She is going to be obnoxious. <laughs> uh, she is definitely like a well-known streamer. Um, I have purchased a costume for this character, Eddie. Nice. I have a wig. I have glasses. Um, I have a T-shirt that says "Existential Dread" in vaporwave font. Ooh. <laughs> 
<laughs> I am very excited about this character. Uh, so yeah, no, I I loved playing Anima. I I enjoyed the first couple play tests we did where we weren't even really role playing. We were just rolling dice to see yeah. to make sure everything worked. Um, and I've enjoyed the the, the actual play test where we were you know playing our characters. So I like ever since Anima got pitched, I was just like, this is gonna be so cool, and it is. Mm-hmm. And I also do love the idea that you don't have to play in Terra Surge if you want to play in some other video game. Like, I, I I truly do love the idea of sitting at a table playing Trinity and then, like, switching your character sheets over to, like, Pugmire because you're playing the cute dog MMO for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's I, that's fun for me. And I think if if I were to, like, run a, a chronicle of anima, I would definitely do more of that. Like, I mean, obviously, because we're... And we've talked about this before, the the play versus work divide like there's a certain amount of performative things we have to do for this is our jobs and we have to promote mm-hmm. these to a certain degree and so like we play these games in slightly different ways than we would like just amongst our friends yeah um so i think if i were to run like a home game of anima i probably would explore that more but like obviously terra surge is really cool and there's a lot of depth there so i want to yeah. show that off right i think it's just because I've, I've lived in terra surge for so long now since i, I wrote that chapter right, right um and read all of dominic's material which was really good but there was a lot of it Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I, I've been so immersed in Terra Surge. I'm like, Terra Surge is very cool, but I want to explore other games now, too, with Glass. Because Glass is cool, and VR is cool. And also, as I said before on here, I'm a really big fan of the Otherland series by Todd mm-hmm. Williams, in which they go through a bunch of different video game worlds via VR. Right. Um, and I always thought that was a really cool setting, where, like, you go from a, a, a world where you're all tinier than bugs, to a world where you're all cartoons, to a world where you're swashbucklers. And just trying to figure out what's going on in each world and how to survive it. Right. And, um, sorry, there's a really loud truck outside. Hi, loud truck. Um, one of the things that, um, I, I love, uh, bad archaeology as a trope. I mean, so that's what kind of underpins Pugmire. Um, and one of the things that I've been thinking about is, um, uh, uh, Marvel in the 90s did a run of comic books called the 2099 series, uh, Spider-Man 2099, Dune 2099, and this is all set in the year 2099, where the age of heroes, which at that time was the 90s, 100 years ago, was kind of forgotten, so people were starting to recover what the Marvel Universe was like. And there's one mm-hmm. scene in Dune 2099 where he goes into a virtual reality sim of the Fantastic Four, and it's wrong. And so he's just like offended, because this is ostensibly the Doom from our time that's been kicked for in the future so he's just offended how bad it is mm-hmm. um and i kind of want to do that with trinity it's like let's play in adventure but the details are off like um the bad research is done so max mercer is actually played by matthew mercer um you know? <laughs> <laughs> and just dumb shit like that i mean that would be, be i think really really fun as people as, as the aeon society comes into we're putting a, a cease and assist on this because this is historically inaccurate and not all based on the material that we provided you, you know, I, I think that would be amazing um because yes i think a role-playing game based on copyright disputes would be really fun and compelling because i'm weird but so you, do you want to play the atd estate then Yes, yes. I would play ACD, Trinity, the ACD state. Um, but there's Sherlock a thing I, Sholmes versus the ACD state. Oh my God, I would do that. Um, hey, I have some Aether pitches to do now. No. Um, the other thing I really loved about the convention, though, was actually the uh, um, after party thing we did, where we had a bunch of people just hanging yeah. out and, and playing games. That was going to uh, be mine, too, because I had fun running that. Well, you, you go ahead and do yours then. Okay, yeah. No, I. Uh, we were talking about things we could do at the con, and one of my favorite things at actual cons is the night the con is over, 
like like next day when you're all going home. Like I I often stay at cons a, a day later, especially big ones like when I do Dragon Con, um, just to avoid the hassle of trying to leave the hotel at the same time as everybody else. Um, and one of my favorite things is that very last night when most people have gone home and it's just like you and a few of your friends just like chilling, you playing a card game, maybe having another drink, but like you're not partying. There's not 60,000 people there anymore, you know? And so I wanted to replicate that as best I could mm -hmm. um, on stream, which obviously is a little bit more difficult. But I did a stream on the Onyx Path uh, Twitch channel that went for about four hours, I want to say. Yeah, about that. Um where I had a couple of, you know, adult beverages and we played some Jackbox with a bunch of devs and freelancers, let a couple fans pop in a couple times. I made an Onyx Path Jackbox pack. Um, and then we they, and then we played a bunch of other just kind of like random games. We got really into is it Blather Round? Is that the one where you're trying to like make people guess stuff? No, it wasn't Blather Round. It was um I forgot which one that one was. The one where uh, uh one person uh, uh, has the the phrase and was supposed to guess it. Um, yeah. Oh, was that Blather Round? I was costing else. I don't know. I, I thought it was Blather Round. Either way, we got really into one of the games where everybody, like, it's, it's kind of like taboo where you have to, like, guess what somebody's saying or what, what, what their prompt is. Um, but they only give you a limited number of words to put into the sentences. And my favorite one was when I had Les Mis as my prompt and I said, a, a, a crisis baguette. And everyone yes. got it like immediately because yes. it was it was a crisis baguette. <laughs> and I was so proud of that. But no, we had we had so much fun on that one. Um, and honestly, it's just fun to hang with your coworkers. Like that's that's something that I've talked about in here before that I've missed about cons more than anything. Like cons are great. I love talking to fans. I love playing games. But I really, really, really love just like hanging out with my coworkers afterwards who I never get to see. Like those, those, you know, three, four hours at dinner and maybe in the bar afterwards are my favorite part of cons. Yeah. Like one of my highlights of, um, of midwinter was just Yumi and Matthew playing Mario Kart in the middle of the bar. Yeah. And, and people just like, what the hell are you guys doing? And it's like, shut up. Gotta get the red shell. You know? <laughs> it's like, we are taking this very seriously is what we're doing. Please go away. <laughs> one day we'll uh, play yeah. again. One day. Yeah. One day. But yeah, so like that's, that, that's like my, my, my favorite part. So. <laughs> like I <laughs> crisis baguette um so yeah I, we've even talked about maybe trying to do something like that a little more regularly like doesn't mm -hmm. have to be all the time but like once a month once a quarter or something like that do you like a fun just kind of chill night on stream um for people to hang out as opposed to for people to watch actual plays because uh, mm -hmm. that's that's fun i like cozy hangout gaming we do have the video of your jackbox session on youtube it's currently unlisted because i've not had the time to watch all four hours to make sure it's all suitable for public consumption <laughs> after the fact <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure no one was saying anything grotesque but um at some point i will need to review it or send you the link so you can and i mean i'm pretty sure there's, there's cursing they're swearing yeah. Yeah. And, and drinking because i was there yeah so I, I think swearing. the uh, I I think the the main concern is if we've got fans that show up in it, we would need to get their permission really before we start showing them on our YouTube channel. So it may mm. stay Nobody, in the um, vault. No fans spoke. It was all devs oh, okay. and freelancers. Yeah, right. I had the fans right. stay in chat only. Right. I mean, so like uh, uh, 
through the medium of the games, there was a little bit of communication, but yeah, no, I mean, it was all, there was some, and a couple times, like, I think if I remember, um, we as the devs would repeat stuff from chat and say, oh, so-and-so in chat said blah, and we would respond to it. Yeah. Yeah, but we do that on all of our streams. Right. That's every stream. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, if any, if either of you end up with a spare four hours at some point to watch that uh, footage, <laughs> you can by all means be the judge. Yeah, with all um, of our copious spare time. Yeah. I want to watch myself on screen for four hours. I'm sure you would love mm-hmm. that. And by love, I mean hate. <laughs> I do occasionally l- l- listen to our episodes when they go live, especially if I've kind of like tuned out of what happened. Um, or all the ones that I'm not in. Like, right. I listen to all of those. So if there's ever one where it's just you two doing something or y'all interviewing somebody without me, I I, I do listen because I, I I have FOMO if I don't know what happened on the Onyx Pathcast. Because I feel like I should know what happened on the Onyx Pathcast. Oh. Bah. Well, that's nice. <laughs> also, I just love the soothing sound of y'all's voices. Um, so before we uh, totally wrap up, we are getting close to time. Is there anything, even just one thing that you think we should change for a future Onyx PathCon? Um, I know that we were working with Start Playing Games and a bunch of our folks and then other uh, fans and other services as our GMs. And then, of course, we had like five different channels going on. So, right. yeah, is there is there anything that you think we could stand to maybe mess with next time? And also, fans, uh, listeners, if you want to comment. Uh, please feel free to comment on the post and we can take that into account. I want to mandate it that everyone who hosts a game or panel has got to absolutely hammer home that people can sign up at any point to run games, play games. It doesn't always cost money to do so. There were lots of free games mm-hmm. taking place as well. Not uh, The ones that you could sign up to on the uh, Start Playing website weren't on camera. They were just on our Discord, so voice only. And mm-hmm. uh, I believe there may have even been one text-only game taking place. So it's quite um, quite possible for people to join games uh, and I, I heard from some people afterwards that, oh, I thought, you know, booking was up to a certain point or I didn't really know where to go. So we need to get better at advertising the fact that this is an ongoing thing. It's a live convention. You can walk up to a game and play in a game, essentially, just like you can in many in-person cons. And mm-hmm. uh, because I want more people to play our games, I want more people to feel like, hey, this is an active event I can join in with and not just observe. Because I know observing games isn't for everyone. I'm not a natural viewer of actual plays, but if I see that games are available and I can play in them, I will sign up for them if I've got some spare time. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I think we we need to make a bigger song and dance about that. That is my view on what we need to improve. Yeah, I feel like we did better than the previous year as far as messaging it ahead of time, but we could still definitely improve. Oh, on that, definitely. Um, just in in in, in terms Ab- of like absolutely, like like you said, just start starting to hammer it like as soon as possible. Like here's here's where you mm-hmm. go, and like maybe even giving all of our streams like a little script to say at yeah. the top and the bottom of every episode. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking that. Like, yep. hey, say these two sentences and, you know, post this link. You need to do that. Which we were yeah. doing, like, off and on, but we didn't have, like, a specific message that we were sending out. Right. Because, honestly, I know when I ran my game, I just forgot to say any of that stuff. So, I mean, having a little script, like, hey, you know, um, just a reminder, blah, blah, blah. Which relates to my thing we could do better is um, the charity, I thought, did not get enough focus. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's very naturally 
it's the Onyx Path Con. We're talking about Onyx Path things and Onyx Path people. So there's a natural gravity to talk about Onyx Path topics, and that's certainly not bad. I mean, this is the one place we should definitely be doing a lot of that. But uh, especially because it's the Padana group and I have a personal connection to the folks there, um, I did feel like uh, they kind of got lost in some of that discussion. And it would, it, like you said, it take a couple of sentences to kind of remind people every hour or so, you know, by the way, you know, here's our goal for the Padana group, you know, please sign up. Here's where you can donate. Um, just to kind of reiterate that because uh, uh, past two years we have done a charity arm of that. And I think that's something that we're as a company still getting used to. Um, I know that uh, past couple of wolf newts, uh, I have done a charity component with uh, the white wolf or the white wolf. Woo, with the pugmire sales, <laughs> very different. Wolfmire. Wolfmire. Um, uh, and I donate fifty percent of my proceeds to uh, the Guide Dog Foundation every year. But I also realize I don't talk that up a lot during that process. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's something that I know I need to get better about. And so I, I quickly saw that on this as well. It's something I think that we can kind of dig into better. But again, it goes back to if we just had a short script, uh, I think that that would cover all of our problems, all of our concerns. Well, that all, and to add on a little bit, I think that in the future, if we do a charity event, which I'm all for doing charity events, I love charity events, mm -hmm. um, we should have it as part of the game thing, which we did, like proceeds from the game, like half of them, I think, went to the charity. Um, but then also we should separately have like a Tiltify link and a ticker on our streams, like right. one of those little bars, because there were a lot of people who were like, I would donate, but I don't like, I, I guarantee you there are people who donated through the website that didn't show up in our total. Because a right. lot of people were like, I just want to donate. I don't really want to like sign up for a game, but I'd love to give them money. And then I was having to go like, okay, well, here's the Madonna Group link and here's the page where you can donate money straight to them or is there you know, PayPal or whatever. But if we just had it set up through like Tiltify, where it's like all the proceeds from the game or you can donate directly right here. And that would have been way easier and we could have directed more funds to them, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. So yeah, that's, that's, that's something that... Yeah, I, I just, I just want to make sure that we're we're highlighting our our friends at Madonna or whichever charity we choose to support in the future, because um, it is important and that's something that you know we we've <laughs> we have weirdly over the past year saved a lot of money by not going to cons. Yeah. Um. So being able to do stuff for charity is really cool because when we go to a, a an, an in person con, we're spending a lot of money. So doing anything for charity is kind of not the easiest way to go <laughs> when we're you know <laughs> flying in people from all over the world and getting hotel rooms and feeding people and etc etc um very very especially, very different from sitting in my especially apartment with, yeah with my demands to fly first class wherever i go now i, I know it's uh, it's a bit of a demand but who could well after resist? your nightmare flights the past like three times you've flown to america i wouldn't be uh <laughs> upset if you were like Hey, I'll pitch in a little cash. Can I fly first class? <laughs> a little cash. One... Well, like, you know, all of your delays, <laughs> you had your computer smashed. It's been weird. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't missed that part, that aspect of international travel. Right, yeah. I kind of figured you hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, that said, that's some of our thoughts on the convention. Also, a lot of thoughts on zombies. Um, but I have zombie thoughts, so, you know. You do. I gotta come out sometimes. I, I have to say, on the, on the subject of zombies, oh, oh. you know, okay. uh, a game that we don't give enough attention to and deserves a lot more is Dystopia Rising Evolution. Right, I yeah. want to play uh, it. One of one of Eddie's babies. Um, mm -hmm. 
it's uh, the way that zombies infection and the like handled in that game is fantastic not since uh, all flesh must be eaten has a way of presenting zombies appealed to me in such a way as in dystopia mm-hmm. rising so uh, i really recommend it if people love their zombie apocalypses that is essentially dystopia rising uh po- post-apocalypse or the rebuilding mm-hmm. after the apocalypse and it's the thing that really put to mind when you said earlier that George Romero said the thing that's scary is when they come in numbers, you know, when there's a horde mm-hmm. of zombies. And it's something that's occasionally conveyed in The Walking Dead with the with the horde. And I think in uh, Z Nation it comes up as well, maybe as swarms, or it's called the wall of zombies. It's sort of making its way across from the east to the west coast, just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, it's one of the simplest story hooks you can put in a game, but Dystopia Rising sort of put it across to me is that idea of, yes, zombies are slow moving. Yeah, if there's one Mm -hmm. of them uh, and you know the rules of the game, making a headshot is easy. But having a horde suddenly appear on the horizon, on the hill overlooking your town is scary. That's true, mm-hmm. but they're slow moving. You know you can get away with them. You have some cobbled together vehicles in your perfect Mad Max way. Uh, but then, as you're heading in the other direction, you see another horde of zombies coming in the opposite direction. So at some point, these two walls of zombies are going to clash, and you don't have enough time to peel off in sort of uh, the on the other axis. So you have to find a way to hunker down and withstand this this storm that's about to befall wherever the hell you happen to be at that time. And that, mm-hmm. for me, is just something that came through in some of the writing of Dystopia Rising is a fantastic setting for a role-playing mm-hmm. game. That idea of, okay, now they are elemental. They're not just flesh-eating mm-hmm. zombies. They're not just things that are going to eat you they are that that this is like a hurricane hitting you. You're going to have to hide in a basement and you don't know how long the storm is going to last. So you're going to have to prep for your own survival. You're going to have to make things. You're going to have to uh, prepare your community, make sure everyone is safe in time. That for me is part of the reason I love dystopia rising evolution. So, so you yeah, would say people should life look is it like a hurricane. It is. Here that was Duckford. the story of the hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Um, but no, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I, I, could, I take zero credit for the setting. That was all uh, Mankapuchi and the team of live action folks who have been developing that setting for ten years. And you're right; it's very fun and compelling. And you know, I got a chance to develop that. I was like, oh, this is going to be a lot of fun to convert to tabletop. Um, and one thing that. Uh, uh, I hope at some point um, it makes sense for us to do more in that world because one of the things I did in my initial research that I couldn't really get into in just one book um, was that uh, the the U.S. was pretty well established from a mm-hmm. cultural perspective. And so one of the things I talked to the team about was like I want to emphasize the American zombie story in this um, So it, it's – because really if you look at like things like The Walking Dead or whatnot, there's a very strong American uh, – uh, uh, story, which is it's the road trip, right? It's the, I need to get from point A to point B, and that's very much the road trip structure. Yeah. I'm also enjoying um, it because it's very Southern focused, which, right, yeah. I'm like, um, I'm like, I'm like, hey, I used to live there. Mm-hmm. Now now it's full of zombies. Right. Just certainly I was like, hey, I, that's where my house used to be. 
Um, but uh, um, if we if you ever had a chance to dig into things like say uh, how uh, England is dealing with it, I would like to dig into kind of the British post-apocalyptic tropes. Like so, not only zombie stories, but like Day of the Triffids is very close to a zombie story in structure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very different kind of we hunker down and endure kind of story. And there are different kinds of zombie stories that do that kind of this is our place and we will protect it and find all the ways you can to possibly protect it. Um, and so there's a strong vein of British sci-fi that goes into that kind of aesthetic. It's like, I, I think you could pl- restructure the game a little bit to dig into that style of play and get a distinct zombie experience. Going back to the very beginning, we talked about there's a spectrum and a range to these things. Mm-hmm. I feel like you can stretch the game to go to the range, but we'll have to see if it makes sense for us to do another book. I mean, one way to do that is to, if you buy Dystopia Rising Evolution enough, we can eventually make more books on its own. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I am a, I'm a big fan of, of that. Like that's, I, I haven't seen the movie, but I really like the book World War Z by Max mm-hmm. Brooks. Mm. And that's part of why I like it is because every vignette is set in a different place in the world. Um, yeah. So you do kind of get like, oh, here's how this you know specific British person reacted to it, and here's how they're doing it in Africa, and here's how they're dealing with it in Japan, and you are kind of seeing that from from all over the world through the device of this person interviewing survivors, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really fascinating. That 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 book, I I don't read a lot of zombie fiction, I guess, but I, I distinctly remember reading that book in my apartment. I think when I was living in Arizona. And I just like actually for a little bit there forgot we hadn't had a zombie apocalypse because it, it feels yeah. so true to life. Right. Like, yeah. It, like, I, it, like, feels I, I like a really got into that. Mm. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's masterfully written and the audiobook with its full cast of yes, actors, so good. Uh, is fantastic. And I believe quite. Well, it's not available anymore with the original cast. Um, really? They had to re-release it with a replacement cast, which isn't quite as star-studded. I'm guessing there was a royalties aspect. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, yeah, I remember reading but, the first like 10 years ago. It was so good. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, I'd certainly recommend it. It has had some spin-offs uh, as a graphic novel. Um, mm-hmm. I think there was a separate... Uh, novel that went alongside as well, but the movie was quite disappointing in my view. Yeah, I saw the previews for the movie, and I was like, I don't want to see this movie. It's okay. Like, no. I would have preferred it as an anthology TV show. Yeah, yeah. Where every episode yeah. was like the story of one person or you know one group of people and how they handled mm. it, and then maybe it all comes together kind of near the end, or maybe it's more Black Mirror like, where it really is just like every episode is a different vignette. Um, but I, yeah. I, I would have loved that. Especially if you did like a documentary television show, you know, mm-hmm. where each each episode is we're going to follow this one person, and then occasionally there are characters from other documentaries that kind of bleed over a little bit, like like they do. I mean, yeah, I think structure that would have been really really cool. But you have a much a movie, better idea for this, and now we've just given it away for free. <sighs> Mail it to yourself. Uh, Mail it to yourself, Eddie. Max, That's exactly yeah, Max it. Max Brooks. <laughs> if you're listening to this, you know where to find us. Right. Um, we won't we won't make a big fuss about royalties like your audio cast did. We'll just take a lot a hefty lump sum and we'll be happy. <laughs> he is very nice in person and he looks just like his dad. It's it's a lot. Like it is weird <laughs> when when you meet him in person and you're like, Yes, you are Mel Brooks's son. I can see it. All and over he, your face. And he can join the long list of supporters for our podcast that financially support us that we have not chased away at all by our previous episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Still Either looking way. for sponsorship. 
That said, we are a little over time, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. It's been fun talking to y'all about the con, though. I, I definitely yeah. want to do it again, want to keep doing party nights, things like that, because I think it's fun to get to interact with the community a little more, um, especially over the past year. But even in the future, like not everybody can go to cons, as we've said. So having these virtual cons has been really nice mm-hmm. for both our international fans and also just people who can't maybe afford it or can't go to a convention for whatever reason whether they're like immunocompromised or it's a disability issue whatever like everybody can come to the virtual con and that's great um oh the other improvement i want to make in the future is trying to get the auto captioning to work better i was trying to caption a couple things and it just it it doesn't pick up all the weird words we say very well (laughs) yeah yeah training training captioning is hard yeah yeah but that said eddie if people wanted to find you, follow you, talk to you about the con, where would they do so? Um, well, for the next month, you're probably going to find me on Kickstarter.com because I'm going to live inside this Squeaks and Deep Kickstarter. <laughs> uh, but outside of that, if you don't want to back Squeaks and Deep, and I don't judge you, although I do quietly judge you, uh, you could find me on Twitter at uh, Pugsteady. You can find me at Pugsteady.com. And you can also find me and all of us hanging out in the Onyx Pathcast channel on Discord. And Matthew? Uh, they can find me on matthewdawkins.com and they can find me on Twitter at DawkinsMP. Uh, you can find me at Dixie Cyanide on pretty much all social media. That's where I am on Discord. I'm in a lot of Discords. You know, I'm around. Uh, you can find us, as always, at the Onyx Path on most social media, theonyxpath.com. And as always, many worlds, one path.